You're listening to 1 Thessalonians, a sermon series about finding hope and understanding in a hopeless world. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, what's up, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah? Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, tell them they made it. Tell them. Yup. This past week might have been tough, it might have been hard, but, but they, they made it, right? Hey, uh, look, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. Now, real quick, before we get to the message, let me make just uh, a couple of announcements. How many of y'all know that Easter really is? It's, it's coming up real soon. It's right around the corner, just a couple of weeks, and we're excited about what God is going to do right here at Elevate Church on Easter Sunday. This past Christmas now, we had a record attendance. I believe it was 401 people here at the church, and so that's a whole lot of people, and so we have all always traditionally had a larger crowd on Easter Sunday, and so we're really trying to, to, to make an effort to make more room so that more people can come and hear about Jesus, so that more people can come and give their heart and life to Christ. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having two services on Easter Sunday. We're going to have one at 9 and one at 11. And so I need you guys to do me a favor. Can y'all do me a favor? Everybody say, Sure. Don't lie in church because you just said you'd do me a favor. I actually need a couple things. So the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to pray, okay? I want you to pray for our services. Uh, We really do. We want God to move, and we want you to pray that that really does happen. The second thing that I need you to do is on your way out today, we've got some invite cards, some invite cards. They're uh, right on the table, right to your right as you're leaving. And so on this card, it's got our time, our service time, and uh, the church website, I think, is on there. Yep. So the thing find out some more information about the church. I want you to take one of these, maybe take two or three of these, and use them to invite someone to come to church with you, okay? But don't just invite them to come to church. Bring them. Can everybody, you can do that, right? You can bring them. Say, look, I'll buy you an Easter basket if you come with me. I'll get you some of those Starburst jelly beans because they're the bomb. Tell them you'll pay off their mortgage. I don't know. Just get them here, okay? Do whatever you can to get them here. And uh, so we want you to pray. We want you to invite and bring. And then the third thing that I really need you to do is I need you to, uh, I need a couple of you. I need some of you to uh, commit to coming to our early service, okay? Commit to coming to the nine o'clock service. And then you don't have to go home afterwards. You can stay and serve during the second one, okay? Uh, So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're anticipating, again, God doing uh, just unbelievable things. I really am praying it's going to be a day of life change. Please pray with me that that becomes a reality. Uh, But that's all I got for you. So let's let's get to the message. We are in a series on the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, And as we start, Let me kind of give you an amazing statistic. I don't think that everybody knows this, but you might. Uh, Studies are showing now that one out of every one person dies. Did y'all know that? It's amazing. Uh, I know some people don't know that, but everybody uh, dies. This past week, it was it was spring break, and so the kids, they were home, and uh, I was sitting at the, the kitchen table, and I was actually doing some church work, and Sadie Kate, she was sitting on the couch. Sadie Kate is my seven-year-old. She's sitting on the couch, and she's watching some cartoons. Well, she stops watching cartoons, and she comes up to me, and she's like, hey, Daddy, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 37, baby. And And uh, when I said that, uh, just immediately, she started crying, okay? 
And so uh, I got two, two girls, and uh, I got a wife, too, and then I got an infant son, you know, so I'm used to crying at the house, you know what I mean? But uh, this was like uncontrollable crying, you know, it was like an ugly cry. Y'all ever seen somebody with an ugly cry? Don't tell her I said that, but it was really rough looking, like snot and everything. I mean, it was real. And so I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, that's so, that's so, that's so sweet, you know, what, what's going on? And so I said, I said, babe, why are you crying? And she says, you're 37. You're 37. I said, yeah. She said, you're going to die. And so I was kind of thinking, I was like, does she know something that I don't know at first? And so I was thinking again, this is sweet. You know, my little girl, she loves me so much. She doesn't want me to die. And so has somebody ever complimented you and insulted you in the same sentence? You know, so that's what's about to happen. So I look at Sadie Kate and I'm like, Sadie Kate, I'm really not planning on dying uh, for, for some time, for some time now. I'm not planning on dying. And without skipping a beat, man, she looks at me and she says, yeah, but you're old and you have wrinkles. I about looked at her and said, your mama's old and got wrinkles, but then I didn't, want, I didn't want Amanda to beat me up, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't say that. But again, the truth of the matter is we all die. We all, we all die. And when that happens for you, when that happens for me, when that happens for us, what will people say about us? How are people going to remember us? We are able to kind of get a taste of what people are going to remember about us and, and what they might say about us every year if you're in school. At the end of the year, they give you what's called an annual. Do they still, they still do that? A yearbook. We call it an annual. Coming Yearbooks, they still do that? I'm kind of out of touch with reality, I guess. Yearbooks? Okay, yeah. So anyway, uh, I was looking back at some of my yearbooks this past week. This past week, and uh, uh, I was looking at some of the things that people said about me. Thought I'd share them with you. This is legit, man. This is from a teacher. Okay, I'm not making this up. Robert, you have been a noisy, annoying, and unique student who has kept me on my toes throughout study hall. Good luck. And then she signed her name right there. So uh, that's what she said about me. So then I was looking at another one, and here's what, here's what one of my, here's what a, a, another classmate uh, said about me, true story. says, God made Europe, God made Spain, God made me, and you without a brain. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, man, what in the world? But again, in those annuals, in those yearbooks, people kind of write or say uh, thoughts that they have about you. And so how do we live our life in such a way that when we do die, Things like that won't be said about us. What kind of life do we have to live to where when we die, more will be left of us than just some simple information on a tombstone? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He really does. Paul says if you want your life to matter, if you want your life to really make a difference, that you need to live a God-honoring life. A God-honoring life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the God-honoring life. I want you to see what Paul says, again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Do you see what Paul says right there? He says, live a God-honoring life. We urge you, we ask of you to please God more and more. This God-honoring life. And so Paul begins to give them three sets of instructions on how they can live a God-honoring life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we really jump into that, let me just ask you guys a question. How many of y'all think that uh, we should preach the whole Bible? 
couple handful of people. Everybody shake. You all still with me? Is my mic on? Everybody think we should preach the whole? How about just some of the Bible? All, or just most of the Bible? What about all the Bible? Everybody say, yeah. I wish I had somebody say amen here, man. Amen. All right. All the Bible. Well, you asked for it, so I'm going to preach it, okay? So here we go. Uh, the God-honoring life. Paul tells us how to do it. And God says, I mean, Paul says, if you want to live a God-honoring life, here's what you got to do. You've got to pursue purity in the bedroom. You got to pursue purity in the bedroom. See, for five verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul talks about sex. Now, should we talk about sex? Some of y'all are going, I don't know if we should, but a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, they don't talk about sex. They really, they really don't. But I want you to know today that the world is talking about sex. The world really is talking about sex. It is everywhere. Woody Allen once said this. He said, I don't know what the question is, but sex is definitely the answer. Again, the world we live in, that's, that's what they talk about is sex. You've probably heard the old saying that says that sex sells, right? Have you heard that before? I mean, if you're watching television, they're trying to sell cat food and you know what they use to sell it? Sex. If your kids are watching cartoons, it's amazing how many sexual innuendos really are in cartoons cartoons that kids watch. If you go to Walmart, you know what I'm saying? And it takes forever because there's only one checkout open. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you're standing there in line forever. And what are you surrounded by? You're surrounded by magazines, right? And your kids are right there with you and they see those magazines. And what's those magazines talking about? It's talking about sex, 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 billboards on the side of the road. That's what they advertise. Our society, that's really what they, they celebrate. You know, rarely do you see a movie that celebrates a, a husband and a wife being married and being together for 50 years. Rarely do you see that. But you know what they do show all the time is couples that hook up, shack up, and break up. And then they repeat the cycle. Hook up, shack up, and break up. That's really what society preaches. And so Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to talk about sex in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul's teaching about sex is very simple. Very simple. Paul's teaching says that our theology, our theology is greater than our biology. Our theology is greater than our biology. See, when we come to Christ, when we surrender to him, Christ is supposed to be Lord of all, all of our life. Uh, if he's not Lord of all, he's not your Lord at all, right? So Christ is supposed to be Lord of all, which means that we put Christ in charge of our actions, our reactions, our thoughts, our, our words, our, our homes, our money, our heart, even our sexuality, even our sexuality. Our sexuality falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that you need to see that Paul says about sex is, Paul says that sex can be greedy or it can be godly. Paul says sex can be greedy or it can be godly. Look at verse 3. Paul says this, it is God's will. How many of y'all want God's will in your life? You know, I want to just know what God's will is. I want to know what it is. Here it is. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. You see what Paul is saying right there? Paul is saying that the way that you and I, the way that Christians approach sex should be completely different than the 
the way the world approaches sex. Amen? That's what Paul says. He says, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Again, Paul is saying here that sex can be greedy or it can be godly. Now, what what does that mean? Some of y'all look nervous today. Y'all all all right? Don't get nervous. This is how you got here, okay? This is how you got to this world, all right? Don't get nervous right here. But here's what you need to understand is that good sex, good sex is, 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 is putting, is putting your, your spouse first. Greedy sex would be putting yourself first. But great sex is putting God first. Great sex is putting God first, putting the way that God views sex above the way that the world teaches sex. And God teaches that sex should be between a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife. That means if you are married and you have a husband or you have a wife, if you are married, that means it's fun time, okay? Now, if you're not married, that means it's prayer time, all right? That means you need to be praying. It means you need to be praying that God would send you the right person. But really, marriage is a declaration from you and from me that we believe in God, that we believe in his truth and his way. It's a declaration from us to pagans, to people who do not know God and do not believe in God, that we believe in God and we believe in his ways. We don't operate in passionate lust like people of the world do. That's what it means. So the next thing that Paul says about sex is not only can it be greedy or godly, but he says it can be hot and holy. I bet you thought you'd never heard that in church before, <laughs> right? It can be hot and holy. Here's, here's the thing. See, I don't know what pops into your mind when you hear that word holy, but a lot of people, what they think about is like a monk or something, like a, a nun. They think about restriction. Is everybody all right? Don't, don't be nervous, okay? So here we go. Look at, verse, look at verses three and four again. Paul says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Let me stop for just a second because it doesn't say sexual activity, right? It doesn't say sexual activity. It says sexual immorality. It, it doesn't say sexual activity. It's okay to have sexual activity between a husband and a wife, part of God's plan. What I want you to understand is that when God created Adam and God created Eve and he put them in the garden and they started doing stuff, God wasn't going, what in the world are they doing? He wasn't. Sex is God's gift towards marriage. It really is. It's God's gift to marriage. And so sexual activity between a husband and wife is fine, but Paul says that you should avoid sexual immorality, which is sexual activity outside of a husband and wife relationship. That's what this is right here. And so he says this, it's, it's God's plan to, to avoid sexual immorality that each of you, in verse 4, should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. I want you to remember here, Paul is writing to a church. 
He's writing to a church. He is writing this to be read in a church and heard in a church, just like we are reading it and hearing it in church today. Now, if you've messed up, I don't want you to feel like I'm up here beating you up. I'm not. The scripture teaches us that God forgives. If you and I confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves you, and if you ask for forgiveness, he will separate your sin as far as the east is from the west from you. He will wash you white as snow. Again, he forgives, but it's important for us to get this right. Why? Because Paul gives us a warning. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. Look at verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul said again, if you want to live a God-honoring life, you got to pursue purity in the bedroom. Everybody all right? Good job. We're going to go on to the second point. That was a lot of fun. Here we go. The next thing I want you to see is that Paul says, if you want to pursue or if you want to live a God-honoring life, you need to win influence in the boardroom. You need to win influence in the boardroom. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're thinking, man, I don't have a corporate job. I'm never in a boardroom, but don't really get hung up on that word. I just use it for alliteration purposes. You know what I mean? The boardroom could be the classroom. The boardroom could be the emergency room. The, the boardroom is whatever work room you find yourself in. Okay, look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, all, you do, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody else. So in those verses right there, what Paul does is Paul says, you know what, there really are three areas of your life and my life where we need to win influence. This isn't going to show up on the screen, but if you want to write them down, here they are. The first area that you and I need to win influence in is our love life. And it's not talking about sex right here. It's talking about the way that you and I love one another. I want you to see verse 9. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Paul says within the Christian community that you need to make sure, again, that you love one another, that you genuinely love one another. The old saying is true that people don't care what you know till they know how much you care, right? Y'all heard that before. If not, you need to remember that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Christ said that the world will know that we are followers of Christ by the way we love one another. Paul here is affirming the words that Christ has already said by saying, if you want to live a God-honoring life, you've got to love one another. That's our love life. But then Paul goes on to say that you need to win influence in another area of your life, and that's the quiet life. The love life and the quiet life. How many of y'all just wish you had a quiet life? Man, praise God. Praise God. I just wish you had a quiet life. Well, if you want a quiet life, you know what you, you, know you got to do? No, tell us. Tell us. Are y'all ready? If you want a quiet life, you know what you got to do? Mind your own business. 
I didn't say it's what the Bible says. All right, watch this. You got to see it. Verse 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, mind your business. Now tell the person you really wanted to tell. You know, it's like, mind your business. Tell them that. Tell them, mind your business, right? Mind your business. Paul says, mind your business, and he says, work. Everybody say work. That's an interesting word. In the original language there, the word that is used is a Greek word called avoda. Avoda. And what that word, that word actually means is that word means to work and worship. It's, it's translated by both of those words, work or, or worship, work or worship. See, worship doesn't start at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. <laughs> worship starts tomorrow when you, when you get up and you go to work. The Bible clearly teaches that everything we do, we do unto the Lord. You know what that means? That means if you are a salesperson, you're not, you're not just selling people things. You're selling Jesus things. That means if you watch kids, you're not just, if you teach kids in a school setting, you're not just teaching kids. You are teaching kids as if they were God's kids. You are doing it unto the Lord. That means if you build houses or you remodel a house, you're not just helping the person that hired you to do a job. You are doing it as if you were doing it who, for unto the Lord. Everything we do, we do unto the Lord. Work and worship are the same thing. Don't just worship God today. Work and worship him tomorrow when you go to work. Again, when you go to school, I assure you, I assure you that your life, you can preach a better sermon with your life than you ever will be able to with your lips. It's true. See, sometimes we do preach to others. Sometimes we do use our words and we communicate that way. But more often than not, we don't have to speak. We just have to live out our faith and people will see it. It's the quiet life, the quiet life. So Paul says the love life is how you win influence. He says the quiet life is how you win influence. And then he goes on to another area of our life, love life, quiet life. Then he talks about the daily life, the daily life. Look at verse 12. He says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so, they will, uh, and so that they will not be, so you will not be dependent on anybody. See, don't go to work tomorrow and roll up in there like a Navy SEAL. You know what I'm saying? Where the Bible just telling people things like this. You better turn or burn. You better get right or get left. You're going to hell. Don't say that, man. That's not, that's not, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? People are going to think you need medication. Okay, don't do that. All right? Don't do that. People, people don't need to see that. Just live your life. Live your life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, here's what Peter says. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live your life and live it the way that God tells us to. Peter goes on to say in verse 15 of that same chapter, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. See, listen to me. People are going to talk about you. They are. They're going to talk about you. People talk about me. 
I remember not too long ago, me and Amanda, we was at the, we was at, I think it was El Sombrero, and the waitress was over there. Somehow we got to talking about church, okay? And so uh, she asked where I went to church. I said, I go to Elevate Church. And uh, I said, I said, you should come. And so she kind of looked at me like, oh, Elevate Church. I said, yeah, that's where I go. And so she, she, I said, is something wrong? She goes, well, I've just kind of heard some things about the preacher over there. I said, I said, good things? She goes, eh. And I said, well, I don't really like the preacher either, but it's a great church. I'd love for you to come and join us one Sunday. You know what I'm saying? I keep waiting on her to walk in the door. I keep waiting, but she hadn't showed up yet. You know what I mean? But again, you know, people are going to talk about you. You cannot control the things that people say about you. But you know what you can control? The truth. You can control the truth. Live your life in such a way that people have to make up stuff about you to accuse you. You can control the truth. And so he says, you know what, if you want to really live the God-honoring life, you've got to pursue purity in the bedroom. You've got to win influence in the boardroom. And then he says, you know what, in order to do these things, you're going to really need to be encouraged. It's really going to take strength. And so, and so what do you, what do you, what do you got to do? He says this, that you got to stay encouraged in the boiler room. You got to stay encouraged in the boiler room. See, when things get tough, when things get difficult, when you feel like you are in the fire, stay encouraged. But how? How do we stay encouraged? Well, Paul says the way that you and I stay encouraged is by thinking about our future. And he starts to talk about the second coming of Christ. Did you know that a quarter, a quarter of the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's it's about the second coming. It's about Christ's returning. Every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends with talking about Jesus coming back. It does. I want you to see. Check this out. Verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, Brothers and sisters, we we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who were left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, he says, you can clap for that, it's a good thing. Never mind. Some people are like, I don't really care. Uh, Here we go. He says, therefore, watch this, fight one another. That's not what it says. Therefore, upset one another. Is that what it says? No, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Where do you find strength? Where do you find hope? It's in these words, the words that Paul has just said, and he really gives us four sources, four sources of encouragement. And he says, you know what, you just need to be encouraged in God's truth. How many of you are tired of fake news? You're just tired of it, really fake news. How many of y'all just tired of politicians, period? You know what I mean? Just tired of it. Well, I want you to understand what's happening to the Thessalonian church right here. During this time, they are being persecuted severely. They're, they're, they're having rough 
lives. And what they're hearing is that God's coming back. Jesus is coming back. They're hearing that. And guess what? It doesn't seem like Jesus is coming back. Don't you know that they begin to think, that's just fake news. It's just fake news. Look at verse 15. Paul says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Whose word? The Lord's word. Not Paul's word, not Silas's word, not Timothy's word. This is the Lord's word. This was a word from God. And what I want you to know today is that God cannot lie. If God told you an elephant was going to lay an egg, you better get a skillet ready, okay? And it better be a big one, all right? I mean, God cannot lie. And when you and I have a word from God, that is a stable foundation. When you realize, you know what, everybody else may say you're a mistake, you were an accident, but when you realize you are made and created in the image and likeness of God and that he's got a plan for you and a plan to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, when you realize that Christ loves you so much that he came to this earth and died for you, that is a word from God and you can trust that it is a stable foundation. Those are things that should encourage us. Paul says a word from the Lord is that Jesus is coming back. It's his word, which means it's truth. It should encourage you. So Paul says you should also be encouraged because you've got a secure future. You've got a secure future. Look at verse 13. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Why in the world does Paul use the word sleep? Why? That's a unique Christian word to talk about death. That's really, that's really what it is. And, and the thing about going to sleep is that you wake up. How many of y'all went to sleep last night? Some of y'all are like, I have kids. Right? But if you went to sleep last night, guess what? And you're here today, guess what you did? You woke up. Hopefully, some of y'all are still sleeping in here. But I mean, you know what I mean? You woke up. See, Easter really is just around the corner. And it's a time where you and I come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the fact that he died, he was buried, but he rose again. The resurrection assures you and it assures me that death is not the end. The body may go to sleep, but the soul goes on to be with the Lord. Scripture teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what the Scripture teaches. And so when Christ returns... He's going to bring our souls with him. He's going to bring our souls with him, and he will raise our bodies in glory, and he will reunite our soul and body together into an unbelievable glorified body that's going to be spectacular. C.S. Lewis said, if you could see, if you could see the glorified body of the person sitting next to you, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them. That's how spectacular you're going to be. Amanda, all the time, she tells me, man, Robert, I can't imagine what you're going to look like in heaven because you look so spectacular now. <laughs> These looks of mine, they're a blessing and a curse, you know. <laughs> She's really never said that. I wish she would. Is she in here? She needs to say that. But again, again, we're going we're gonna to have a glorified heavenly 
body. And Paul says, be encouraged by God's truth. Be encouraged because you've got a secure future. And the third thing that he says that should encourage us is, again, Christ's return. I want you to know today that the greatest event the Bible ever talks about is found in verse 16 of this, verse, of this chapter. Look at it. Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The Lord himself will come down. I got news for you, people. Christ is coming back. He's coming back. In the twinkling of an eye, he'll split the eastern sky. He's coming back. And it's exciting. It, it, it really is. And, and there are a lot of people, though, who obsess over his return and about they're trying to get out all these calendars and pick a date and, and, and try, to, try to nail it down. Don't do that. That's dumb. Seriously, check out this picture right here. In 1988, man, somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Guess what happened? Nothing. So they wrote a new book. 89 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1989. You know what I'm saying? It's really, don't try to worry about the date. Don't get hung up on the date. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36? Jesus said this, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Listen to me. All these people trying to say it's going to be this day and this day and blood moons and blue moons and I don't know what else. Don't go walking in the woods with them. Seriously. The squirrels will eat them and maybe you. They're nuts, okay? Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't obsess about a particular date. Don't, 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 don't panic. Be prepared. Be prepared. Jesus says that that day is going to come like a thief in the night. If someone's going to rob you, do they give you a warning? Hey, I'll be at your house tomorrow at 11.15 to rob you. No, they don't. You stay prepared, right? Be prepared. Be prepared. Stay ready is what Paul says. So be encouraged. Again, it's going to happen. And then Paul says the best thing, the best thing that should encourage you and encourage me is that life down here might be bad. Life down here really is coming to an end, but you will live forever. If you know Christ, you will live forever. Look at verses 17 through 18. It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord. How long? Forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, listen to me. You, I don't doubt you've had some great moments here on earth. I know I have. I remember when I passed my driver's license exam. Great moment. I remember when I was finally able to drive. Great moment. I remember graduating high school. Great moment. I remember meeting Amanda. Great moment. I remember when she asked me to marry her, it was a great moment. <laughs> I remember when I had kids, great moment. Great. I've had some great moments. And again, I know you have too. But you haven't had your greatest moments yet. You haven't. Your greatest moment, your greatest moment will be when you open your eyes for the first time in heaven after you've closed your eyes 
for the last time here on earth. The greatest moment will be when you open your eyes in heaven. See, God has prepared something for us that is beyond our wildest imaginations. It's beyond our wildest dreams. In heaven, there's going to be no more homework, no more deadlines, no more going back to school after spring break. None none of that. There's going to be no more fake news, no more politicians, no more taxes, no more high blood pressure or high cholesterol, no more cancer, no more knee pains, no more back pains, no more more bad things, no more baldness and receding hairlines, right? No more baldness, bunions, bifocals, or bad memories. You need to tell every ugly person you know that they need to come to Christ so they can get the upgrade. Amen? I'm just kidding, but seriously. See, a lot of people, when they think about heaven, they think it's just going to be boring. You're going to be floating around a cloud playing a harp. I promise you, there's not going to be a dull moment in heaven. Again, it's going to be amazing. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And that is encouraging. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But again, I want you to know that this wonderful place, again, that God has prepared for us, if we want to experience it, we've got to prepare for it down here. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to give your heart to Christ, you need to become a new person. I'm telling you, God forgives. It doesn't matter what you have done. He forgives. But if you know you need to give your heart to him, you need to confess him as Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And right where you are, I'm just going to ask that you pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. That's the good news about God is that he knows what we're thinking. So pray this, Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Cleanse me. Make me new. Father, today, I confess you as Lord. I submit everything to you and your authority. Cleanse me. Help me live for you each and every day of my life. Again, we're continuing to pray every head bow, every eye closed. But I wonder today if there's somebody here who prayed that prayer to be saved. If, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask that you do me a favor, just right where you are, that you lift your hand. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Father, today I thank you for new life. I thank you for people giving you their heart and life. I thank you for people surrendering to you. And I pray that you would help each and every one of us in this room to realize that the Christian walk is a daily walk. Father, help us to live the kind of life that you've called us to live so that when people look at us, they'll just have to make stuff up to accuse us of doing wrong. Father, thank you for today. We pray in Christ's name.
Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.